this week on The Inswinger. They're designed to keep the big teams at the top because they will always be able to spend more. And we didn't realize that until now where you're hearing things about Newcastle. Because the football they play is unbelievable and he's shown that he has that charisma. But you need a bit of luck in the title race and I, and I think they did deserve the three points. You know, a lot of people questioned the Richarlison signing at points last year, but he's kind of proving everyone wrong. All right, welcome back to the In Swinger Season 3, Episode 16. Been a few days now, been a lot of games uh, last time we've been joining you. Uh, speaking of which, I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined alongside Harrison McGlashan. Uh, four games and eight days for me. I think it was five games and eight days for Harrison. We're getting into the thick of it. Uh, the second half of this Premier League season, the European season. We weren't just in England. We were abroad in Germany as well. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, but we're going to start with the biggest game probably of the last two weeks. Arsenal at home hosting Liverpool. Uh, I mean, Arsenal still in the title race before this game, but you sensed a bad result and maybe... You know, City and Liverpool would just kind of edge away. That didn't happen. Arsenal won 3-1. They were great in the first half. Conceded a soft goal. Went in at halftime 1-1, but really bounced back in the second half performance. They really were the better team on the night. I mean, Harrison, for you, what does this result tell you about Arsenal's chances in the title race? And how important was it they got this win against Liverpool? Because it, f- it felt pretty significant. Yeah, huge. Huge win, uh, I think. It felt like, you know, the media and just fans were ready to sort of write them off after this game. It felt like the story was going to be Liverpool sort of pull away, Arsenal are out of the race. But you have to credit them. They turned up. I thought they were by far the better team, first half especially, got the goal. And the goals were scrappy in this game, but it's one of those things. It's like when they beat City earlier in the year, you know, it really doesn't matter. You just need the three points. And they did deserve it. Um, it, it puts them right back into the thick of it. Obviously, City have a game in hand and can jump ahead of both of these sides. Um, and I think, honestly, this result was, was as good for Man City as it was for, for anyone, really. Um, but for Arsenal, I think it's just a confidence boost. I mean, you could see the celebrations after the game. I think that that said a lot. Um, people criticized it, but y- y- you kind of get it. I think they just needed a big win. They've been playing okay, uh, you know, but they have dropped points. Uh, to team you know teams like West Ham that that they think they should be beating um and, and now they're they're right back into it so I think just just mentally and we and we've talked about this with Arsenal before because they've had big wins and and it hasn't you know obviously last season they didn't get over the line uh but I think to just keep the momentum and the good feel about the place is so important in a title race um obviously you know a, a couple injury worries I think Zinchenko went off I think Sacco went off. Havertz started up front. No Jesus. No signings in January. So listen, there's a long way to go. There's a long road ahead. The problems might still be there with the lack of goals. Um, obviously, they were gifted one with, with that Martinelli goal with you know that shambolic uh, you know piece of defending from Van Dijk and, and Allison, which, which you don't often say about a Liverpool side. But you need a bit of luck in the title race, and I, and I think they did deserve the three points, and that's the positive thing was more I was more impressed by the performance really than anything yeah. I thought they really took the game to Liverpool at home as they should they've, they've got a great side and in you know Liverpool no Salah even with Salah I think I think these sides can go toe-to-toe I think they Arsenal will think that they 
can beat them before the game and 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 it did that did show on the pitch i thought they really took the game to them and and that was impressive so you got to credit arteta with the tactics i thought he got it spot on after some questions were arising on whether or not they're going to really stay in this title race uh so they are in it i think a lot of people would still fancy man city uh, but you have to give him credit for, for that performance and, and three points. Yeah, I think the performance, like you said, was probably the biggest takeaway for me because Liverpool have just been strangling teams recently. And Arsenal, the first half of the year, they weren't really blowing teams out of the water like they were last year. And Man City are hitting their groove. And if Arsenal are going to be in this title race around May, they have to be they have to show that they're capable of going toe-to-toe with these big boys. And they did at home against Liverpool. Liverpool missing some players. No Sabazlai really you could kind of tell he was missing. Um, and like we said, Allison Van Dyke, uncharacteristic blunders. Um, but it just felt like Arsenal had the momentum all game long, all night long. The crowd was with them. And that's going to be really important um, when it comes to this title race because they have some big games there coming up and they need everyone on side. And I think there were some rumblings ridiculously about Arteta over you know the first half of the season. You know, is he the right character you know tactically he's shown he's an astute manager but some of the decisions he was making in the press and with Havertz it was like is he the right guy but I think he there's no question that he is and and really the progression that's been shown year on year um, has been nothing short of incredible for Arsenal and Arteta because I think a lot of people forget how bad they were in his first two years like this this arsenal team was not far off of where like this chelsea team is right now and if you told a chelsea fan hey in the next year or two you're going to be right up there with liverpool and city they'd bite your hand off for it so i think arsenal fans have to take a step back and realize that arteta has built a team that can go head to head with klopp and pep at their best and that's a huge it's significant achievement um and nights like sunday night where the Emirates is in full voice, and Martinelli got a goal. Saka got a goal. Trossard got a goal. That's huge. Um, not just in the table, but I think in momentum, like we talked about. So that was big. As for Liverpool, crazy couple of weeks. We're going to get into first the news about Jurgen Klopp, because I think when we woke up to that, we were like, wow. I mean, they just built essentially a new team, a new midfield, kind of a new identity. And it looks like they're way ahead of schedule and that they're competing for the title this year when not many people thought they would. Now, all of a sudden, Klopp has built this team and he's saying, you know what? They were having discussions about next year's preseason. And he said he really couldn't see himself having the energy to go again. I mean, what's your initial reaction to Klopp leaving? And do you think it'll have a positive or negative impact on the rest of this season? Because I could go seeing, I could see it going two ways. I want to get your thoughts first, though. Yeah, I mean, I I struggle to see it going negatively just because the culture that that's in that dressing room and the way the way he galvanizes the squad already. So with with this new, I think they'll just be even more motivated. Uh, I, I think, you know, they'll, they'll lunge into that extra tackle, right? It's just those those fine margins, uh, you know, they just might get get over the line in some games. But um, regarding the news, I mean, yeah, I, I share the same opinion, really. I, I was pretty shocked. I mean, buzzing for it as an Everton fan, of course. But um, I think when, when you listen to what he said, you, you can really see um, just just the emotion. And, and you know, it, it sucked so much out of him. And it, it just sucks so much out of you competing 
year in year out with, with this Pep. Team. It's just, it's Pep. Any other manager and Klopp is arguably the best manager of all time, and he wins all these leagues. I mean, how many points did they get that one year where it was like ninety seven? Ninety seven, and they didn't win yeah. it, I which mean, is more than Alex Ferguson ever got with the United team. Right. So it, I mean, you know, bias aside, he's built an incredible team. Yes, they've only got one title to show for it, but I think if you stick this team in most other eras. Uh, they they are the most successful side, uh, and and even with the city team, you know he's won every trophy. Um, I, I fancy them to win the Europa League this year. I think at at, at least they're in a Carabao Cup final. So you know he's not done yet. They're going to get something this year, whether even if it's not the Premier League. Um, he is a legend. He is a Premier League great. Um, and, and the trophy cabinet, you know, it's it's not Pep City, but you have to respect the football he plays the way he motivates teams. I mean, the way he has just changed that club who hadn't won anything in 30 years or won a Premier League rather in 30 years. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's remarkable. And I, and I understand why Liverpool fans are just, are just absolutely devastated. Um, I will say that I think he has set them up well to succeed in the future. Mm. I think it's, it's an interesting move to sort of set the rebuild in motion for the next guy to come in and take this squad. Cause I think a lot of managers will be looking at the squad and thinking, okay, like I can do something. It's not like when a Mourinho or a Conte leaves and you're like, oh, we got to rip this up and start again. I think it, it's, it's, they're really well set up for somebody else to come in and, and take them and, and keep them at that level. Um, you know, we can, we can talk about Chabi Alonso, obviously heavily linked with the job. Uh, and we saw, you know, the football he plays in, in, in Germany firsthand. Um, but I think there's a great balance of experience and, and youth in the team. Um, Again, neither of us really had them winning it this year, and they're still top of the league. Um, obviously, there's a long way to go, but I agree with you. I think they are ahead of schedule, and they've exceeded my expectations. Um, and that's down to Jurgen Klopp. You know, he hasn't really using McAllister as a six, Trent inverting. Uh, you know, there's just there's just so many things you could you could point out in this team that that are just examples of impressive coaching. So you, you can understand why why he's going to be missed, and and, and I think. Yeah, I, I would I would worry as an Everton fan, I worry that they could go on to do something special because I just think it's it's written, isn't it, for them to to achieve. I, I'm I'm not going to say it out loud because I'm nervous, but you know, achieve something quite remarkable in, in this final season. Yeah, I I would tend to agree. I think it leads itself to a more positive season than a negative one, given this announcement. The one thing I will say is though. Are the players, you know, you said you think they're going to be more motivated. I would tend to agree, but I also think there's part of me that thinks there will be some players in the dressing room thinking they were here for the long haul. And, you know, are they, would they be less motivated knowing that this manager's not going to be there the long term? I don't know. It's just a bit, it'll feel odd. And I do think, but that being said, I, th I think there are enough leaders in that dressing room to ensure that they, you know, keep the course for this season and I also think in terms of just Klopp's legacy at Liverpool history won't be very kind to Jurgen Klopp I think because they'll look at the stats and they'll say yeah well right now he's won one of everything which is great but I truly think he has done I don't want to say a better job than Pep at City but if you look at the money spent and the net spend and the situation he was coming into I think pound for pound, I would rank what Jurgen Klopp has done at Liverpool greater than what Pep did at City. And that's not a popular opinion, but maybe, you know, me being a bit biased because of how sick I am of seeing City win everything. But I just think 
if one little thing goes differently in a couple of those seasons, you know, Pep's uh, Klopp's walking out of here with three Premier League titles, three Champions Leagues, and just as much success, if not more, than Pep and Man City, all while spending net spend hundreds of millions less. And I think the one thing you can say is that Klopp improved so many players he brought in. Like, like the core of that Klopp team, whether it was Henderson or Wijnaldum, who was, you know, playing for relegation fodder. Robertson came up from the championship. Trent was a kid. Van Dyke, they spent big on, but he was a, a Southampton center back. Just, I mean, Mo Salah, they bought for $30 million. Mane, they bought for $25 million. Firmino, all these guys who were, yeah, pretty good players, but they were Europa League level players, essentially, and he made them the best team in the world at one point and for, for multiple seasons. So it's just incredible what he's done. As for the future um, and the next manager, I do think it will be Chabi Alonso because of the Liverpool links, because it's just kind of a slam dunk appointment. He knows the club. He has an incredible record this year. Bayer Leverkusen still haven't lost, and we saw them in person. That Leverkusen squad is nothing special. Those players are not that good. And this football they play is unbelievable. And he's shown that he has that uh, charisma about him. He has that presence on the touchline. People, players will respect him because what if he's done in the game as a player and now as a manager? So it ticks every box. If you're a Liverpool fan, obviously you're going to be sad about Jurgen Klopp leaving. This guy has completely galvanized the, the city, the club, everything that you grew up as a Liverpool fan watching. He brought back. So of course you're going to be sad. That being said... Chabi Alonso coming in is a pretty damn good replacement, and I would be pretty excited if I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, in that regards, you know, back to just quickly the Sunday game before we move on. It was an off day, um, and they're going to have to put that behind them, Allison, Van Dyke specifically. Um, and I think Salah, Jota has been keeping up replacing Salah's goals, but you need Mo Salah back soon because this title race is not going to get any easier with Man City really coming back into the fold now. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I I agree. I think, I think the interest. Another interesting thing will be, you know, to see who stays in the summer. You know, are they there uh, for Liverpool or are they there for Jurgen Klopp? And, and are they bought in? You know, players like Van Dyke and, and Salah, who are at the latter end of their careers, you know, are, are they gonna are they gonna stay on and, and play for this new manager and go again against? Because I don't think Pep will be anywhere in the, but City in the next two years at least, probably. I think his contract expires what twenty twenty six. Yeah, well, we said this. We said a similar thing about Klopp in that we didn't really see him going anywhere. And I mean, maybe Pep will take a backseat sooner than we think. And then who knows? Maybe it's Arteta's Arsenal who's on the up. But this massively changes the landscape of the Premier League um, in the next few years. Just a monumental moment, really. Like, where were you when Klopp said he was leaving Liverpool? Uh, all right, moving on. Man United, uh, a couple of big results for United, starting to score some goals, starting to get some players fit. Um, they had a big comeback, or not comeback win. They went up 2-0, Wolves came back uh, and they tied the game, but United won it late on. Kobe Mayne with a brilliant solo effort to win it in added time to win it 4-3, and then they swept away West Ham 3-0 at home. And what I thought was a bit of a, 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 a you know flattered to deceive scoreline. Um, but they did walk away with six points in two games. Feels a bit like there's some positive momentum around the feeling of the club, if that makes sense. It seemed like there was a lot of doom and gloom uh, in recent weeks, given the style of play and the Rashford situation and Anthony, and it was just bad. 
all of a sudden Martinez was fit. Now he's going to be out for a while, but Casemiro coming back in, Hoyland scoring goals at a, a consistent rate, Garnacho really taking that next step. Even Rashford, you know, scored a nice goal against Wolves. What is your current opinion on this Man United team and Ten Hag specifically? I mean, what is their ceiling this year? They're sitting in sixth, but can they really compete with that top five in Villa this year? I don't think so. I think this is their ceiling. I don't think they're better than Spurs. They're not better than Villa. And then the top three are just in a league of their own, really. Um, I I think the injuries, I want to come back to that because I think the team, and, and you know, credit, because a lot of people have been saying this, has been much improved since Lissandro and Casemiro and the integration of Kobe Manu uh, have come back. I, I think you have seen a team, especially with Manu in the middle, that can control the game better. Um, again, they weren't, uh, I, I wouldn't say they were like on top for 90 minutes against West Ham, but you just, they looked more comfortable. I think Manu just looks more comfortable. Casemiro can do his thing and be a destroyer. So I think that kind of works well. Um, and then Lissandro, again, so comfortable on the ball, aggressive as well, great out and out defender, but his ability on the ball too is so crucial. And it's going to be another spell out for him, unfortunately. But so I think there has been improvement, you know, let, let the credit where credit's due. Um, and I also think I, I want to talk about Hoyland because I just think he's really impressed me. He's honestly impressed me all season with his movement and, and energy and, and tenacity. Um, and, and I'm glad that he's, he's started to find the back of the net because there were question marks from people saying, you know, he, he's he's just not scoring enough goals. Um, and I think he hasn't really had enough service. Uh, and I think Garnacho on the right-hand side has been kind of a revelation. He can just be direct. He's dangerous on the counter. And Hoyland can keep up with him, and Rashford can. So it, it's sort of they've sort of found a bit of a rhythm with the front three. I still don't think Rashford is in a, a great bit of form by any means. But maybe if he can start to chip in a little bit and get the confidence back, uh, then we can start to see the best of Rashford. But I wanted to point out Hoyland because I thought that goal – I mean, we were there at the match – um, it was, it was a really, really well taken goal uh, against against West Ham, and I, I was pleased for him because he because he I think he is a United fan, and he clearly does care, and I think he will be. Um, I think he is the future for this. I think him and Garnacho really um, are, are the future of this team, and and Manu as well, who who I spoke of is just so impressive. And I think also I think Bruno, I think the heat's been off him a little bit now that the team's starting to play a bit better. Again, like I'm not you know, so, so bullish on this team because I think sixth kind of is their ceiling. Um, but I kind of think you take that, you know, given where you started. I know you, you overachieved last season. I mean, I went to the game with the United fan. And he was like, you know, we, we overachieved last season. Like, you know, this is, it's sort of, it, it may be a bit like Newcastle, right? Two steps forward, one step back. Um, I think any European football will do given, you know, how poorly they started the season given the noise around Ten Hag and the Glazers and Ratcliffe, there's just so much going on at Man United. I think a season with European football, whether it be Europa League or Champions League, is absolutely fine. And you have to get, for me, you have to get some defenders in in the summer because Varane, I think, isn't going to play 38 games and Lissandro isn't either. I thought Maguire was brilliant on Sunday. Uh, well, he gave away that one, didn't he, though, to Emerson? He did, but I thought, by and large, Bowen had an incredibly tough time dealing with him, and I thought he was just very calm and assured. And I think, I mean, he, ironically, he was player of the month in the Premier League somehow a few a few months ago, then he was injured. I think he's ironically been a big player for them, given how much scrutiny he gets. Yeah, he has been all right. He, he's, I think he's been fine. But I think, you, you know, you're looking at Johnny Evans. Really, shouldn't he 
playing at this level. I think he's been fine. Um, but if, if your best two center backs, uh, if at least one of them can't play the whole season, you've kind of got an issue there. Um, and I think there's a question mark in midfield too, because Casemiro is, is, I know he's on big wages. He's going to stay there. Uh, but again, he, he's what he's mid thirties, right? Where, where does where does Mason Mount fit into all this? I don't, right. I don't, I, 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 I mean, he's the forgotten man. hasn't played in months, but you'd think with this United team and the style of play, Ten Hag has been forced to play. It is this kind of hybrid counterattacking style where they are really good in transition, and maybe that will work against some teams. But I, I still have question marks because. I don't think United were the better team for even close to the majority of the game on Sunday. I thought West Ham actually played some pretty good stuff, created chances, had chances in the first half, had a huge chance early in the second half. I think that Emerson goal goes in that Maguire gave away inside five minutes of the first half. That second half plays out completely differently. Instead, they come down and get a deflected goal and it's 2-0 and West Ham are kind of deflated from there. But I still don't know if there's a platform to reach any higher than top four. Like I don't see them competing with this style of play with those top three teams. And if that's the case, what's the next move? Because Ratcliffe coming in, that's a positive sign, I guess. Ineos and his company will take control of the sporting side of the club, but United fans will be excited about the future. And I don't blame them because of Hoyland and Garnacho and Mainu. I rate all of those players highly. But whether or not those players and this manager together are capable of leapfrogging any of the top three teams right now, I, I, I just don't buy it. That, that's it for me. And even with a couple of good wins, I'm, I'm still not really convinced. And I still have question marks long term over Ten Hag um, because it, it's just a bit confusing on where he was when he first came in and the football I wanted to play and where he is now. Will he be given the time to bring in more Lissandro Martinez-style center backs so they can play out from the back? Will he get a Frankie Young type midfielder? Does he need one now, now that Mainu's there? Those are the questions that have to be asked and positions that need filling if the narrative is going to change when it comes to United. Because right now, I still think it's they're not on anywhere near the tier of the top three teams. That's just my perspective. Um, but moving on to West Ham, uh, I saw two West Ham games this weekend. This week, rather. Thursday night, home against Bournemouth. Crap. Calvin Phillips played. We essentially played James Ward-Prowse in the left wing. There was absolutely no balance whatsoever. We gave away a terrible goal inside three minutes. It was just a nightmare start. Um, second half was a bit better. Kudus got into the game. Still didn't look right because, and this will lead us into our January uh, talk. The story of deadline day was Pablo Fornales and Saeed Benrama. And that kind of tells you the story of the January window. But from a West Ham perspective, how you can sell two of our main rotational options and not bring anyone in is mind-boggling because you left, you're left with Ward-Prowse playing left wing and having to shoehorn guys into positions they don't play usually because Pakatat is still out injured. Um, and, you know, Phillips, I like the signing, but he gave away a poor goal against United, gave away whether it's him or Zuma's fault against Bournemouth. Not been a good start. I do think part of that is rust. He's barely played over the last 18 months. I think he'll come good. Um, but there's there's massive talk right now about West Ham and David Moyes' future. Now, we're sixth, seventh right now. We're through the round of 16 in the Europa League. A lot of people are saying, you know, what is there to complain about? But then they see games 
like Bournemouth where it was just awful. And they say, how can you give this guy a new deal? And, you know, I can talk about that for a while, but I do want to talk about January and the kind of lack of business that was done. West Ham, I think, were kind of a sign of that, given that we sold two of our players, didn't bring anyone in in that position. I mean, do you prefer this style of window where teams are actually forced to be very stringent on the money they spend. I think part of that is a result of what happened to Everton. I think teams are more afraid of FFP now than ever, which I guess is what the Premier League and UEFA want. But would you rather teams be able to spend the money in January like Newcastle wanted to? Um, or you think it's better that you know teams really aren't spending that much this time of the year? Well, I don't, I don't mind you know a lack of spending, but I don't really... Not for these reasons, you know, I don't, I don't mind it because I think it sort of, um, just levels the playing field a bit that city can't just plunk a hundred million in January. Do you know what I mean? But on the other hand, like, I'm just, I mean, you know, my view on this, I just, I think it, I'm glad that it's raising awareness to the fact that these PSR rules are just ridiculous. Oops. Drop my water ball. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see, obviously there's a rule change coming in August um, because it just, it just doesn't work. Right. I mean, and you have now starting to see Newcastle fans, um, Villa fans, you know, rumors circulating that they can't spend, they're going to have to sell an asset. Um, why is that they're finishing, you know, in, in Europe and they have to sell some of their assets to balance the books, um, you know, sort of mid, mid to upper table in terms of net spend. Like, why is this, why is this a thing? So, so that part of it uh, pleases me, um, but I, I, I just think I just think the story here is is the same. It, it's that it's the fact that the rules are ridiculous. They need to be looked at. They need to be there needs to be independent regulation. I, I know I've talked about all this on, on you know previous episode, but I mean it's not it's not just Everton, right? This is a big picture thing. It's going to affect um, the other fourteen sides. Uh, you know that we have the big six who have fans all over the world who buy their shirts and splunk money in preseason and they've got big stadiums and they just earn more revenue, but they don't earn more revenue because they are at the top of the league necessarily. That helps, but it's really because of, of other factors that teams like Bournemouth and Fulham and Palace and Brentford and Forest and Everton, you know, and West Ham, they're, they're not at that level. And <laughs> Frankly, I don't know if they'll ever get to that level because you can't just spawn, you know, fans in China, right? Man United are Man United because of hundred years of, of history, um, and, and they're just they're just an inherently big team, and I think the Premier League likes that. There's no doubt that these big teams earn them money, and and they and they like this narrative of the big six, and so what the rules are doing, uh, they they are designed. <laughs> whether this is intentional or not, Everton fans will tell you it is, and there's a conspiracy. Um, they're designed to uh, keep the big teams at the top because they will always be able to spend more. And we didn't realize that until now where, you know, you're hearing things about Newcastle not being able to spend when they finished in the top four last season. So that is just a clear example. And I think there should be more coverage on this, by the way, because I just think it's ridiculous um, that this is this is the future of the game we're talking about at, at a financial level. And if, if you would have just said it what it is at, certain, at face value, like teams will not be able to compete because they can't spend like that. That is just a huge 
and that's the reality right now. You, you can't compete with Man City and Liverpool and, and United and Chelsea, um, not because of where you finish, but because of uh, how much money these, these teams generate off the field. So it, it's just, it's a huge issue. Um, I'm glad in a way that January has sort of prompted this discussion. Um, but I just think it's, it's, it's so much more than just the January window being quiet. I think, I think as well, I'll, I'll say this, the market is, is just, you know, blown out of proportion in the last few years, right? Like, you know what you're going to have to spend to get a player out mid season. Um, so, so to answer the question, I guess, no, I don't mind that teams aren't like, you know, uh, you know, competing and playing ridiculous prices to get players in in January. I hope, what I hope really is that this sort of brings the market down a little bit mm. because, you know, nobody's paying 100 mil for Ivan Tony in right. January. They shouldn't be paying that in the summer. I mean, I rate the guy, but come on. You know what I mean? So I hope maybe this will bring us back to reality a little bit. Uh, you know, who knows? But I just think, and I'll keep saying it, the bigger issue here um, is, is the PSR rules. And I think you're right in that teams are probably pumping the brakes a little bit because of the charges that have happened to Everton and Forest. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I will say um, is that when it comes to money spent, right, you have a team like Man City who were able to transform the club and create a bigger fan base, essentially, over these last decades before, you know, PSR and FFP were even a thing. And that's where a lot of people, I think a lot of Newcastle fans um, are unhappy with the money they have not been allowed to spend because they're saying, hey yes we're in the same boat as man city we've got this oil money but they were allowed to spend it before the rules came in and we're not and now the damage is done same with chelsea i mean chelsea were probably the first with abramovich's money in in 03 when he came in and now they've created this mega club with all these players and everyone's like oh no but look chelsea are selling these players too and that's how they're balancing the books which is true but how did chelsea get this world-class academy with these world-class players they can sell for good fees it's because of the money they pumped in 25 years, 20 years ago. And now that money is being prevented um, from being pumped in from the likes of Newcastle and Everton and Villa and whoever, right? So there's an argument there that the damage has already been done. And if you're now closing the floodgates on the money that's being able to spend, you are essentially protecting and shielding man united and man city and liverpool and arsenal because they've grown that gap and newcastle we saw it last year they were coming they we, they had the the financial capacity to compete with them and it's it, it is unfortunate that we're having to have this essentially a financial arms race as opposed to a footballing one and who can you know have the best tactics and the best manager and best players but unfortunately the way the game works now it comes down to money spent and it's who has the most and all that right and even united who have spent it so poorly are able to continue to spend because of how big they are and the success they've had organically i might add it wasn't like united were you know flushing in cash in the 70s and 80s under sir alex ferguson in the noughties either like that was them being a successful club but chelsea and city specifically doesn't sit right with me doesn't sit right with a lot of fans that they were able to pump cash in and now newcastle aren't villa aren't or everton tried to terribly it, it went awfully when they tried to spend big under Usmanov and mashiri but now they're being punished for it and it it does none of it seems right um so the january window was massive if i had to give one verdict on it whether i like the lack of spending or not i think i do 
um, just because I think we'll see more out of players already there. We'll see more out of managers. It won't be as, hopefully, as easy for the likes of City to dominate whoever. Um, I think you'll learn something more about some of these teams when they can't spend as much. And I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, a good young player going for 15 million instead of 40 million like it, it has been going because it's just it's crazy and academy players coming through too i think that'll be a yes. side effect you yeah. know you're, you're gonna hopefully. see more connor bradley's hopefully come through instead of somebody brought in from the bundesliga or right. whatever right all right moving on let's move on to um everton we saw a couple of everton games or you did at least this week started off at craven cottage fulham everton nil nil we thought the curse was was for real. Thankfully, I, I witnessed some goals and the curse has been put to bed, but it was a nil-nil at Craven Cottage. Uh, Harrison, we were in the away end. What did you make of not just the, you know, the experience, but um, the game as well? Yeah, I think um, two mid-table sides, really. Um, I thought actually Fulham uh, were a bit better than I thought they'd be. I hadn't really seen much of them at, at home. I, you know, I'd seen them play Everton and Goodison and a couple other you know bits and bobs. Um, I think they played some good stuff, um, but I think, you know, a draw is probably about right. I mean, the story of that game from an Everton perspective was similar to what we've been saying all season, really, is that we just couldn't take our chances. Beto missed one from two yards out, put a header over the bar. Danjuma in the box, couldn't just slot it in the corner. Uh, I think Calvert-Lewin at the post or the bar. Tarkovsky, a bunch of just goal line scrambles. You couldn't quite put it in. Controversial handball on the line. I actually might be in the minority here. I think it... I, it would have been harsh, I think. It, it really just skimmed his hand. He didn't really, um, you know, block it from going in. Um, but, you know, both teams had chances. Probably a draw was about right. Um, Everton were stretched. McNeil played in midfield alongside James Garner. And uh, we just didn't have that control. And you saw when Idrissa Gay came back into the team uh, on Saturday against Spurs, we were just so much better. He was mad at the match. The guy was just everywhere, putting out fires, winning it back, getting possession back for us, driving the ball up the pitch. Garner could do his thing. Um, There's just so much more balance about the team when, when Gay came back in. So, um, and, and against Spurs, you know, I, we, we played a lot better as a result of that. Deserved at least a point. I thought we were better the team uh, for a lot of you know, points of that game. But um, Richarlison, I mean, for them was just so clinical. Um, and, and, you know, credit to us for, for fighting back and, um, getting back into the game twice. I think that was a, a good sign of character, a good sign of what Deitch has done to this team. I think an Everton team from years ago under previous regimes and managers wouldn't have had the belief and the fight and the, and the quality to to get back into it. I, I think you've just seen, I've just seen teams, uh, so many Everton sides over the years, just capitulate. Once we go down, you know we're done. It's exactly the opposite with this Deitch team. He's really changed the mentality. Um, we're unlucky to be where we are, obviously, because of the deduction um in the relegation zone at the moment it's just so bizarre because we just i think anyone will tell you we really don't deserve to be there um but still with with plenty of chance of getting out of there there's a long way to go luton are playing really well at the moment obviously which doesn't help i think forest are in trouble um i think nuno's fine i think the squad's decent but i think everton are better than them to be honest um and we beat them once so i i think that's a team to keep an eye on um in terms of the relegation battle as well as if Luton can keep up their form but um yeah I mean listen to to, to summarize um it, it's about it's about taking chances Everton create enough our xg is always pretty good um, we've had a few shockers against you know Luton and Wolves this in the last month or so um 
but it's kind of been back to back to business in the last couple of games. Yes, we've only gotten two points, but we've we've played better. Um, we've gotten when we had a proper midfield, we played a lot better. Um, even when we didn't play in great against Fulham, we created. Um, Calvert Lewin would love to see him get a goal. He, he, I think he needs it. Um, but still, still working hard, still holding the ball up, and still kind of doing what he does. He just just needs to finish one off. Um, so you know, it, it, I, I'm still positive. It, it's it's weird because we're in 18th, um, but I like what I see from the team. I like the effort. Uh, I I get what he's trying to do, and, and I've get that all season. Um, so listen, I, I really like Dyke. You you know my opinion on that. The listeners do. Um, I think we're going in the right direction. I, I really just hope that we can get some points back to be honest with you from this appeal i mean that would just be a bit of a relief but again we've got another round of charges who knows what's going to happen there but i do think if if we can manage to prove the premier league wrong i think that'll be huge for the next round because they can't just do it again if they were proved that the process was off the first time do you know what i mean so i think there's a lot riding on the next couple weeks um and even if it doesn't go our way i think we have enough I, i really think we have enough to to surpass Luton, potentially Forest. I know Luton are playing really well, but um, Everton have a pretty favorable run in. We play Luton and Sheffield United last few games of the year. Um, so long way to go um, in the relegation zone, but, but you know, close to safety, playing okay. Um, just get me Onana back. Uh, that would be nice um, and, and stay fit because we, Danjuma's down. We've really only got two or three wide players left. So um, fitness is going to be an issue. Uh, but you know, we've, we've got a game against city at the weekend. So sort of a tough one there, but after that, I think we've got some winnable fixtures. Um, so, you know, we're doing okay at Everton. Same, same story, really. Yeah. I want to touch on Spurs, um, for a little bit, just cause I think with Spurs injury crisis, we kind of all pumped the brakes on any potential title or even maybe top four, um, talk when they lost Van de Ven and Madison, but they're back and Richarlison's back scoring. He's on fire right now. Um, I mean, I've just been super impressed with Richarlison in terms of not just stepping in, you know, obviously we talk about Harry Kane's goals, but Son's goals while he's been away at the Asian Cup. I mean, that's been huge because these are big goals that Richarlison's scoring. Yes, they only walked away from Goodison with a point, but not an easy place to go. And more than anything, you're seeing a player that's worth 50 million pounds that they paid. You know, a lot of people questioned the Richarlison signing at points last year, but he's kind of proving everyone wrong. And with a guy who's going to get you 15 to maybe 20 goals in a Premier League season, all of a sudden that coupled with Son and Kulisevsky and Madison, Brennan Johnson with Andrew Helm, you really fancy where this team is going. And I think Spurs fans can be excited about, I mean, of course they're excited. They've been excited all year, but I think just recently with the goals for Charleston is scoring, that's the difference between a fifth or sixth, seventh team to a legitimate top four contender. And, you know, if if, if the stars align, you can find yourself in a title race, maybe, because it is the goals. They're that important. So I've been really impressed with Spurs. I think they're only going to get better, really. I think Richarlison hitting form, you know, long overdue. I just think he's such a good player. Obviously, you know, people writing him off way too early it's just it's it's laughable really because he was brilliant at everton and we saw that firsthand uh as evertonians last couple years um so you know pleased for him and i, and I just thought you know in the stands at goodison like bringing kulisevsky off the bench man like they, they've got some good players e- even without son i mean that team i thought madison you know spurs actually i didn't think they were brilliant against everton i think everton were the better team for a large part of that game you know created more 
but you know they got the early goal they didn't necessarily need to go guns blazing i suppose but Every time they did come forward, Spurs, I mean, they just look so dangerous. The fullbacks get so high up the pitch. Madison picks up the ball, and, and he just makes something happen. You know, a dodgy inverting, Poro, um, you know, Johnson, I think, is more probably a rotational bench player in, in the long run. I don't think he's quite at the level of, of the other attackers, but he's a good guy to have around. Um, and then Van de Ven, too. I mean, they love him over there, and rightly so. I mean, the guy is rapid. He's just so... He, he, he just gets to everything and he just puts out fires and he's got the recovery pace and he's good on the ball. It's a great, great center half pairing. And now they've got Dragason off the bench who, who can sort of, uh, you know, sure it up um, at the end of the game. Didn't manage to, of course, again at the weekend, we got a late goal, get in. Um, but, uh, you know, the squad is starting to shape up um, and, and Timo Werner even is contributing um, I don't think he's got a goal yet, but but I think he's gotten an assist yeah, or two, a couple assists, right? Yeah, a couple so, so listen, I think I think they're on the up. I think they're in the top four race. I think it's between them and Villa for the last spot. And um, you know, Villa big win against Sheffield United, uh, still in some decent form. Um, but you know that that's gonna be that's gonna be close. And they've got Son coming back, so I, I'd honestly almost back Spurs for, for fourth spot. Of course, m- both might be Champions League right. uh, spots. Uh, I'm not, again, who knows how this new format really works yeah. with, you know, what's it called? Uh, those point system or what, I don't know. Coefficient. Coefficient, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, so even even players like, you know, LaCelso, we've seen here and there, can contribute uh, in an Ange team. Bentoncourt back, uh, Basuma to come back. I mean... There's a lot of players there. Even Hoybier, who a lot of people thought, and I don't know if he's the right guy for this team, has been doing a job uh, at the sixth position. So they've got options. They've got some depth. Uh, they're going to improve in the summer, I'm, I'm sure. I think they're an exciting team to watch in, in the next couple of years. And they can compete with, with just about just about anyone. Yeah, last couple of teams I want to touch on uh, before we wrap up today's episode. Palace and Brighton. They had their quote-unquote derby. Um, what's it called? The M25 derby, I think it's called. Yeah. Palace, man, I mean, Roy Hodgson's still there somehow. They lost to Brighton at the weekend. They were down a couple goals. He subbed on Michael Elise. He lasted all of about five minutes before he came off with an injury, and he's going to be out two months with a hamstring injury. I mean, it, it just seems like they're going in circles at Palace. I feel like they were in this exact spot three years ago. They bring in Hodgson. Uh, so they bring in Vieira to try to be more progressive. It goes terribly. They bring back Hodgson. They start playing okay, and we're back here again where it's like, well, they've got some exciting young players, but they really don't have the quality to be any higher than you know, 13th or 12th in the Premier League. But to me, you just can't continue with Roy Hodgson. I mean, I'm going to answer the question here. Like, Do you think Hodgson should be sacked? I think he should have been sacked by now already. I think Steve Cooper is a good, suitable replacement who has shown he has the goods in the Premier League for a bit. It went bad at Forest, but I think it was always going to go bad given his relationship with the owner. I think with some more players at his disposal, different types of players, I think there's a better defense there at Palace. I think there are players in midfield. There are players in attack. I think that's the kind of move you're looking for if you're a Palace fan because, I mean, I think they'll stay up, but I'm not overly convinced by it i'm not i wouldn't bet my house on it i think they're just fragile i think the fan base is just so done with roy hodgson and they'll thank him for years of service for keeping him up last year but it's time for a change this 
uh, this Brighton game was, you know, the tipping point, I think. I think they should have sacked him um, after that. And the Elise mismanagement is just shameful, I think, really, because it seemed like he wasn't fit. And then another hamstring injury. I mean, this is the young guy's career we're talking about. Could have gone in the summer, decided to sign a long-term contract. And it's just so poor. And I do feel for Palace fans a bit because they are a proper club. Um, they've been in the Premier League a long time. And Hodgson you know received some flack for basically saying you know they should be happy we've been in the Premier League this long and the expectations shouldn't be that much higher than just staying up but after being in the Premier League for a long time I think expectations change and they don't want to just merely stay up they want to try to crack on and it's been a good few years since they've really pushed top half and I think Hodgson's days are surely numbered at Palace yeah uh I think (laughs) he won't go beyond the end of the season will he I mean the problem with Palace is they kind of need a safe pair of hands because, I mean, they're five points off us in 18th. I think they could get sucked into it, really. I, I think they could. The problem is, yeah, they need – so they kind of need a safe pair of hands, but they also kind of need someone who's going to take them to the next level because they've got players. They've got Eze and Elise and, you know, they certainly have Decore and, you know, they've, Jefferson Lerma's a decent player, I think. You know, the two strikers, you know, none of them's really grabbed that position by the scruff of the neck. So – Gahey and Anderson I like at the back, though. I feel like that's a foundation. Exactly, right? So they've got good players. Um, They probably should be looking to progress into the top half in sort of the long term. Um, But right now, uh, they kind of just have to stay up. Uh, And and I think they have more than enough quality to do that. So so who do you bring in, right? Steve Cooper, I guess, you know, kept Boris up last season. Um, You know, good working with young players. Did, Did incredible to get forced to the Premier League in the first place. Um, but, you know, these types of appointments don't always work. They really don't. Uh, I've seen it at Everton. They've seen it with Vieira. Um, Forrest, obviously, going, you know, Cooper to, to Nuno. Um, so, you know, it's tough, man. At the bottom half of the Premier League, it's tough. I think a success story has been Bournemouth uh, with, with Iriola. Mm. Um, but, again, like, I just think these progressive appointments, they, you know, they go one of two ways, right? So, so it's a risk. Is it a risk they're going to take this season? I'm not sure. I think Parrish might just, you know, try to see it out with Hodgson. But they've got Chelsea next. They've got Everton away. Um, you know, they've, they've got to win at least one of those games. Uh, and I think Chelsea will be looking to respond, um, of course, at Selhurst Park. I think Chelsea are beatable right now. Um, but, but they need to win as well. So big, big couple of weeks for Crystal Palace. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they slip below the likes of Brentford, uh, Forest, maybe Luton, even maybe Everton. We'll see what happens with the appeal. They could leapfrog him. So, yeah, I think I think they they could be in trouble. Um, Roy Hodgson, he's been a great servant, but you know he. I think his I think his time is over really. Um, but. Listen, uh, I think, I don't know, he, he is traditionally a safe pair of hands, and yeah. he'll, he'll probably find a way to keep you in the league. Um, but beyond that, uh, I think I think they have to be looking elsewhere. Yeah, definitely at, at some point. I'll, I'll just finish. I do think Cooper could be the hybrid of the two. Like, I think if you bring him in now, he'll have enough to keep you up. And then, but then I think you can also look to build with him, maybe. Um, but that's that's just my shout. Potter's another one. Grand Potter. As in an attempt to rebuild his name, that's a good shout. I like that. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on Palace uh, this year because they're they're struggling. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.